Unofficial Bengals Podcast. Welcome to the Unofficial Bengals Podcast. This is your host, Frank LaPlaca, and I'm a Bengals fan for life. All right, this episode is going to be a review of the Raiders game and a preview of the Steelers game. We're going to welcome in Justin Lacey. Tom McLevy is going to stop by for another McLevy Minute. And we're going to welcome in special guest from at Stats on Twitter, Evan McPhillips. What's up, Bengal Nation? This is Adrian the Mad Backer Ross, and you're listening to the unofficial Bengals podcast. Who day? Week 11 review. Cincinnati Bengals, 32. Las Vegas Raiders, 13. Six and four. Fifth seed in the AFC, right in the mix of the playoff hunt for the AFC. This was a grinded-out, ugly game against the Raiders. We wore them down, and we wore them down because we have more talent, we had better schemes, and we have more heart. All right, let's go over some general observations from this game. First off, the grass out there in Las Vegas was horrible. There were people slipping all over the field. You could even see it when you looked up close. The field was really chewed up and not great conditions to play under. And you think playing on grass is better for the body, and usually it is, rather than landing on turf. But in this case, it it was pretty dangerous to be playing on that slippery surface. And I'll tell you, Burrow gets hit. I mean, he got hit a lot in that first half. I was going absolutely crazy. I didn't think he was going to last the game. But another thing I'm noticing, Burrow gets hit late a lot. I, I don't know if it happens to most of the quarterbacks in the league. I watch a lot of football. Maybe I'm biased. But I'm feeling like he takes so many hits after the whistle and doesn't really get the calls that often. And I'd like to see that be corrected in the future. You know, maybe I'm sensitive to it because he is my favorite player and it's the Bengals, but it just seems like he's getting hit late more than most quarterbacks. Then you had the one really ugly play where Crosby kind of rolled over Burrow's leg and it bent sideways, his his surgically repaired knee. He gets up limping. I thought he did some damage to it. That's a big body, a 280, 290-pound body, I believe, rolling over your knee and just having it twisted in, in a way you don't want it twisted. And Burrow seemed to be all right. You know, right after it happened... He goes off to the sideline, and during the course of the next few minutes, he does his two favorite things. He goes on the iPad, unfazed, doesn't want to seek medical attention. Gotta love the toughness there. And then you see him get on the exercise bike, which I love too. And I'm that way. You know, when I watch a Bengals game, I stand the whole time. When I do most everything, I stand. I'm not a guy who kind of hangs out on the couch. And Burrow is like that too, it seems. He's not sitting on the bench that often. He's always kind of up. I love to see him when he's on the bike because he has, you know, he wants to stretch himself out, keep himself loose. And I like that. That's an energetic quarterback that does good things on the field. So, yeah, bring on the exercise bike, bring on the iPad. However you want to cope with a, a nasty, twisted knee like that is fine by me. And, Joe, I'm glad you're okay. We brought back some tight end screens this game, which is a very valuable weapon. We had that first play to sample where he was wide open, and he would have had a big gain, and he slipped on that turf. So tight end screens are something that I want to see us use against Pittsburgh as well. So we got a little practice doing them against Las Vegas this week. And I'm not crazy about the jet sweeps to chase. You'd think it's a good idea to just get the ball in his hands, but I don't know if if he's not good at running them or it's just a bad angle or the blocking breaks down. But I know he's had like maybe one good jet sweep this season, but usually when I see that happen, I'm thinking, man, he's going to get a yard or two, and that's been the case. So that's something that we need to evaluate as a coaching staff 
to see if we still want to do it or if there's a better way to scheme that up to make it more successful. Because as of now, the jet sweep has not been working. And the coaching comes into play. I'm going to mention the coaching a few times in this intro. Very few penalties on our part. And the Raiders had a few really costly penalties that kept Bengals' drives going and led to points. So that was very strong on our part. And you could attribute it to two things. The players concentrating and not messing up and playing within the rules and knowing that penalties will kill you in a game. And the coaching staff for making sure that the players know that and have that as part of their mindset. So very good to see that we had a very light game penalty-wise. Then we go up 10-6 to in this game and never lose the lead. The defense played outstanding. They gave up 13 points, hardly anything on the ground. A bounce-back game for the defense. And the Raiders, you know, you can say what you want about them. They're up and they're down. They seem like they're trending downward right now. But there's still weapons out there to defend against. And if you let Carr get heated up, he could be successful. And we just did not. We shut them down pretty much totally for the whole game. So excellent defensive effort. And more on the defense, we went to more of that three-safety look as opposed to the three-linebacker look, and I think it was working for us, and I think that's something that we need to do against Pittsburgh as well because you know Ben's not going to be throwing the ball downfield. I'd rather have a safety in coverage than a number three linebacker, so look for them to use three safeties a lot more this week again, and maybe that's the formula for some of the teams that we're facing, you know, Chargers, another one like that, where you want to have as many good pass defenders as you can out there. And then back to the coaching, the halftime adjustments are working. You know, we went into halftime in a dogfight. I didn't know how the game was going to turn out. You know, it looked like they were going to knock out Burrow at some point. It just could have went either way, and we schemed it up again. It's, this has been happening so much this season where we're the team making the halftime adjustments. And the last two years coming out of the locker room at the half have been a disaster for us. So this was nice to see that that trend continues of good coaching and good adjustments. And it goes to all across the board. It goes to Coach Taylor and, and Coach Callahan for sticking with the run, coming up with some clever plays in the second half. It comes down to coaching from Coach Pollock with the offensive line because in the first half they were all over Burrow. In the second half, not so much. So he, he did some adjustments with the guys in the line, and it worked. Coach Anarumo, Raiders come out, you know, needing some momentum. They go three and out on their first series. So those are all good things that say that we're doing the right things at halftime and the right things in the locker room. All right, so on to what I always like to review is the first series of quarter three. So I'm just going to quickly blast through the plays to see our mentality coming out of the gate, you know, what they might have thought of in the locker room. So first play, we go four wide receivers. And you have this tight window slant to chase for 17 yards. And I think that's what they did in the locker room. They were like, we're going to come out and we're going to scheme up our best pass to get Jamar Chase lit up. And they did. And he had a, a huge gain on the play. So I like us coming out of the gate like that. Then we go mix and left for five yards. Then we go mix and left again for four yards. So it's continue the run game, continue to pound. Maybe they saw something on that left side of the defense that they felt they could exploit. Because here we come out with two runs for nine yards right away. And that kind of established the theme for the second half. Lots of runs, lots of clock control, tire out the defense, wear them down, and it totally worked. So fourth play, we had trips outside, and those guys went to the outside. And you had Boyd as the guy all the way on the end. He does the slant underneath him. I love that play. That play works on any level. You know, when you have three receivers on one side, and you send two guys one way and someone else underneath, whether they go in or out, it's a very effective play. 
So that was an excellent fourth play for us. It got us eight yards. Then the fifth play, and this is something they probably practiced all week, was the fake flea flicker. I've never seen one in my life, and it was sold so beautifully. They give it to Mixon, stops dead in his tracks, fakes the pitch to Burrow. Burrow looks like he's actually got the ball, and then Mixon takes off again, and the turf got him. If he didn't slip on the turf, that could have been a 20-yard gain. Still, it ended up being an 8-yard gain. Then we go to T. Higgins, incomplete pass, but P.I., another costly error by the Raiders, so there's a first down there. Then we do that quick swing pass to Morgan. You know, they're looking at Stanley Morgan as being a blocker the whole game. Well, here we were actually getting him the ball. So all clever stuff. You know, they ran the right way. They got Chase involved early in the second half. The fake flea flicker, you know, they were waiting for the right time to pull that out. Morgan, oh, you think he's blocking all the time? Hey, we're throwing the ball to him. So very clever way to keep the defense off balance. And those first seven plays did that. Eighth play, Mixon pitch left. It was for negative two yards. But again, they probably saw something on that left side. That play didn't work, but that's okay. Ninth play, we're at the 27-yard line. And Adeniji lost his man. The pocket collapsed. Burrow takes an eight-yard sack. You know, tough play for us. So they almost stifled that drive. But here we go with our Pro Bowl rookie kicker to bail us out on play number 10 with a beautiful 53-yard field goal. So that's how we came out in the second half. That set the tone for the rest of the game and led us to a, a very decisive victory, ultimately. All right, let's go over some key plays. And, you know, there's a lot of plays in the game that factored in, but I'm just going to go over three specific instances that I thought really swung the game. So here we go. We have the ball, first drive, third and six. Ngakwe beats Jonah and P. Ryan. There was some confusion there. Whatever happened, Crosby beats Reef. There's a strip sack on Burrow. The Raiders get the ball. They're running towards the end zone. And you have, you know, Jonah was running him down from the back. You had Chase coming from all the way on the other side, chugging down the field to make a play. You had Higgins never giving up. And ultimately, Higgins makes the tackle at the nine-yard line. And, you know, if those guys would have phoned it in or been divas or not team-oriented or not been so set on winning and hustling, that would have been a touchdown, and that could have changed the course of the game. Instead, Raiders get the ball on the nine-yard line. Scary moment. We're, we're all thinking, all right, so we're going to go down 7 nothing. Let's hope our offense gets started. But what happens? First play by the Raiders. Three-yard run. Reader, Hendrickson, Pratt all got involved on that, so they stopped that. So now they're at the six. And they throw the screen pass to Waller in the open field, one-on-one against Hilton. Waller's got to have him by 40, 50 pounds at least. I don't know the heights and weights exactly on Waller. But it was a big size matchup. Hilton, with the perfect open field tackle in space, takes down Waller for a loss. Pretty much stops a touchdown or a really short goal to go. And then third down, we have simply just a four-man rush. Carr panics a little bit. Throws a bad pass to the running back. But Logan Wilson was right there anyway. So I think if Jacobs caught it, we were still going to stop him short of the end zone. But, you know, who knows what could happen. Maybe there's a broken tackle. So there it was. First and goal from the nine, and they get a field goal out of it. That really set the tone and really bailed out the team and ultimately led to a win. I mean, that was a huge drive for us. The second big play was Mixon's first touchdown. So you have Higgins motion And he gets like three Raiders to kind of bite on the motion and take a false step. And it just opened up that right-hand side. And Reef and Adenogy sealed their blocks. Then you have Sample, Boyd, Stanley Morgan all blocking downfield. And then Mixon just showing the quickness, the speed, 
and knowing exactly when to cut it upfield at the perfect time, touchdown, put us in the lead, and the Raiders were never to come back after that. Third big play was the chase touchdown. We always like to see those, and there have been a lot of them this year. And what they did is they had trips right, three wide receivers on that side, chase by himself on the left. Burrow gets great protection and places a perfect touch pass to the corner of the end zone to chase, touchdown. You see the chemistry between Burrow and Chase, and they also had Mixon flaring out for a little swing pass underneath. So, you know, Burrow had his choice there. He could have hit Mixon. Mixon probably would have done some damage too, but he found his man in the corner of the end zone and put it in just the perfect place in a very catchable ball. Boom. Big touchdown. All right, so let's move on to some of the individual performances. Joe Burrow. The the big quote from Joe Burrow from this week was, Have you ever known me to care about big hits? I don't think so. Toughness, that's your leader. That's the leader of the Cincinnati Bengals. You know, you see some quarterbacks who don't want to get hit or afraid to get hit, and it eventually affects their game, and we got ourselves a warrior. And he's gaining respect throughout the league. I know the Crosby roll over his knee was considered kind of a cheap shot. I know they hit him late a couple times. But there was one play in particular where Joe ran and went out of bounds at the sideline, and you had Crosby kind of stop him and help him so he didn't just go flying into the bench. And then even Ngakwe gives Burrow a pat as Burrow goes back onto the field. So he's respected by his rivals. Those are two veterans that are like, you know, hey, I like this guy. He's a star. I'm helping him out. So that was classy on the Raiders' part, and it showed the respect that Burrow's getting around the league. And then another play, he runs out of bounds right by the cheerleaders, and they're all looking at him like he's Joe Namath. So he's just getting total respect from everybody around him, and it's, it's good to see. It's very well-deserved. He scrambled well this game. You don't like to see him running too much, but he got a couple first downs for us, had some nice runs. What I always say about his passing, and this time I'm going to give you some specific instances, but he has the velocity, the decisiveness, reading defense, making decisions, spreading the ball around, throwing a catchable ball. You know, anyone who's played football, there's guys that sometimes zing it when they shouldn't be whipping it that hard and it makes it a tough catch. Or they throw it in a way where your body twists and it becomes an awkward catch. Or they throw you into a hit. You know, there's a way that if you're good enough, there's a way that you can throw it to your, your receivers and kind of protect them from taking too many big shots. And Joe's an expert at that. I saw on the five wides, there was several times he's getting the ball out in less than two seconds because he knows he doesn't have the extra protection, and he's just decisive, accurate, and getting it right out. It's so early to be saying this, and I've seen them all. I mean, Greg Cook was a little before my time, but I've pretty much seen them all from Ken Anderson on, and Joe Burrow is the best Bengals quarterback I've seen at this juncture. All right, specific throws. Now, I'm not going to break down every one of these plays, and and I say this every week. There's so many throws that we can analyze, so many great moments from Joe Burrow. In this case, I'm going to highlight four plays, and I'm not even going to talk too much. I'm going to just tell you when they occurred, and if you have the inclination to rewatch the game or just fast-forward to these moments, you'll see how good these throws are. And I might highlight some of them on social media later in the week as well. There's 10-18 to go in the second quarter. He sets his feet, and he zips a frozen rope to Boyd in such a tight window. You have to see that throw. It's just a perfect example of an elite quarterback. Same thing, second quarter, 8.45 to go. 
slant to chase, tight window, accurate, catchable ball, got it right in there, no chance for the defense to do anything on it, beautiful throw, 642 left in the second corner, there's a third and seven, he throws a turnaround to Boyd, also known as a stick route, and he just drills it in there perfectly, again, catchable, accurate, decisive, another throw you guys have to see. And then another throw I wanted to highlight in the fourth quarter at the 10-20 mark, there was a slant to Mike Thomas, which checks all the boxes that I mentioned before. So again, there was a bunch of good throws, but those are four in particular on top of the chase touchdown that were just like, wow, this guy is elite. This guy is top five quarterback in the league material and climbing. All right, on to Joe Mixon. And I'm going to start off the Joe Mixon commentary with a quote from Tyler Boyd. So Tyler Boyd says, The guy I'm blocking, he wanted me to stay on him blocking so he doesn't have to tackle him. And I said that before. You could see those DBs, they don't want any part of Joe Mixon because Joe Mixon is lowering his head and initiating contact before the defender does. So aside from like Derrick Henry and maybe a couple others, Joe Mixon is probably one of the most feared running backs that guys just want no part of. Everything he's doing, it's like Joe Burrow. I could list how well this guy is playing. I, I, I mean, he ran over Chase. It was like anything in my way, I am going to knock out of my way. Unfortunately, it was Chase blocking. Kind of a funny play. Also kind of a dangerous play. Those are the kind of plays that guys get hurt on when you roll up on the back of their legs. Fortunately, it was just an upper body hit, but he just leveled Chase, leveled a couple defenders, and was very, very hard to take to the ground on that play. He's got deceptive speed. He's a natural running back. Some guys just have a knack with their vision and, again, the decisiveness. The other factors are like the timing of the cuts and when you accelerate and deaccelerate. All those things, they're, they can be coached, but they're more innate qualities that you just have. And that's like a natural running back, and that's what Joe Mixon is. P. Ryan proves to be an asset. He had that big short yardage first down late in the fourth quarter, And that turned into a four-point swing. If he doesn't get that first down, it's a field goal. He gets that first down, it ultimately leads to a touchdown. So that was one of the building blocks to kind of get us four more points than we would have had if he didn't do his job. And Chris Evans, look out. The more they involve him, the more damage he's going to do out there. And they're not involving him a ton right now. I know he had a big game early in the year before we hurt his hamstring. But, you know, down the stretch, we're going to see more Chris Evans because he's very successful when the ball is in his hands. Tyler Boyd, very active. I guess, you know, everyone was complaining over the bye week that they weren't looking for him enough. Well, they got him involved in this game, and it was very helpful to us. It got us some first downs and helped us move the ball well. And Joe Burrow had a quote about Tyler Boyd. It's nice to see. I'm, I'm quoting players talking about other players. It's, it's good stuff. It's not selfish. This is a team. And Burrow said about Boyd, very simply, Tyler Boyd is like a security blanket for me. I mean, that's a big compliment as a wide receiver. You know, when you're the guy that Joe is looking to to bail him out or if you need a big first down, you know, it's not always the guy making all the big plays like we're seeing Chase make. You know, it's Boyd doing some of the grunt work and giving Joe Burrow a target when he needs it the most. Now on to Jamar. Nice to see him get a touchdown. He's slowed down a little bit over the last few weeks. And I'm, I haven't seen anything specifically, but I'm wondering if defensive coordinators or DBs that are studying a lot of film might be seeing him give, give up some tells on the deep ball. It might be something in his body language or something in the way he's running routes where they kind of know he's going deep because it really hasn't taken anybody by surprise over the last few games. I hope I'm wrong. I hope there's no tendencies that people are seeing. I hope it's just 
the way things went, but I want to see that deep ball happen again, and I'm just wondering if there's some tells going on. Higgins was active and reliable as usual. Stanley Morgan with the blocking, I mean, that's a big weapon. It's, it's going to keep him on the roster. It's going to get him a lot more snaps if he keeps making these blocks. You know, he caught the only ball that was thrown to him, so a good game out of him again. Then on to the offensive line. Hopkins is playing hurt, and he's getting beat a lot, unfortunately. And next week he's got a big test with Cam Hayward in the middle. So I'm hoping that he gets some help in there. And, you know, it's I'm rooting for you, Trey. It's just it's been a rough go, and we knew it would be a rough go coming off an ACL so early. Jonah had another slow start. You know, he let up that big sack early that led to the fumble and, you know, gave the other team three points. He eventually gets to that level where he settles down and plays well. And the other thing about Jonah that I really respect, he's hustling all the time out there, and I like to see it. You know, a lot of times when the play goes away from an offensive lineman, they kind of just stop and just kind of walk it out. Jonah's always on the move, and and that's good to see out of a first-round pick and out of a left tackle. The tackles did struggle early, but you remember they're facing Ngakwe and Crosby, who are two superior defensive ends, and they did settle down in the second half. So as the game went on, it was obvious that they were doing their jobs a lot better. And Spain had another solid game, except he let up a really big hit in the third quarter on a sack on Burrow. But aside from that, he's playing well. He's getting to the second level still and making those downfield blocks. So, you know, overall, the offensive line was shaky in the first half to the point where I was really getting upset. But they did settle down and, you know, we won the game big time. All right, on to the D-line. Josh Jacobs, 36 yards rushing. That's an excellent performance out of your front four, and the linebackers were helping out as well. Hubbard had another big game. He almost had the TD. He was getting really tired at the end of that play. I was screaming for him to get in the end zone, though. I just wanted him to get a touchdown off the fumble recovery, and he almost got there. So exciting to see, and good to see his play has just gone up and up over the last few weeks. And Trey Hendrickson is a lunatic on the field. You just see it in his face. He just he does truly black out out there and, and goes crazy. And he had the sack fumble late. And there was one point where he looked like he hurt his wrist, and I was kind of worried about that because I don't know if the defensive line is going to be as effective without him in the lineup. So stay healthy, Trey, and keep doing what you're doing. You're having a monster year. Khalid Kareem had a big play. It was nice to see him active. And I would say the defensive line in particular was directly responsible for that 13-point effort, you know, limiting the Raiders to 13 points. Logan Wilson had a good bounce-back game. Even on the TD he got burned on, he was very close in coverage. It was a tall, tight end he was covering. And I think what went wrong is he just never turned around. You don't want to turn around too early because then you lose your speed, lose track of the receiver. But there's a timing. You almost want to watch the receiver's eyes, and you can kind of sense when the ball is almost there. And, you know, he probably should have turned around at one point just before the ball got there. He would have knocked it down. But aside from that, I think he had a very good game. And I think Jermaine Pratt had a decent game, too. And, again, he's showing that range from sideline to sideline, hustling, always going after the ball, trying to cause some fumbles and stuff. So good stuff out of him. Defensive backs, they almost shut out the Raiders' wide receivers. You know, most of the passes were going to tight ends. There was only a handful that went to the receivers. So... That was the coverage downfield being good, and that was Carr panicking and checking down the ball a lot. And they have a couple good tight ends out there, so you know Waller's probably the biggest target on the team. The tackling remains consistent. You know, Mike Hilton with that big tackle on Waller. Obviously, Bell and Bates as usual. And I think 
Eli Apple played a very physical game in the run game, and of course he had that interception late. Carr had a lot of time to throw that ball too, and that was just a really bad decision by him. But it was nice to see Apple come down with the pick. Awuzie is playing like a star and a pro bowler, so defensive backfield had a very good game this game. Then on to special teams. Evan McPherson is winning us games. There's a fifth-round draft pick that's not some extra guard or some defensive lineman that barely gets in the rotation. This is a guy that is pretty much directly responsible for two wins, and you can almost say he was carrying us in this game until we heated up late. And he wins his second Player of the Week award for special teams. Just a real exciting story. He's, you know, I mean, he's part of that young core. What did the Steelers have? They had the Bs, right? What was it? Brown, Bell, Ben, and Boswell. You know, they even included the kicker in there. And we have that too. You have your Mixon, Burrow, Chase, Boyd. I mean, there's a lot of them. But you almost want to throw McPherson in there. Like, he's a danger. 350 yarders in a game is, you never see that in a Cincinnati Bengals uniform. And this guy's making it look easy. Darius Phillips had one good return this game, so I was happy about that. He also had one awkward catch where he caught a punt like almost above his head. That's not really advisable. Again, I'm sure Coach Simmons will coach that out of him, but we got to watch. You know, you don't want to see something like that happen in the playoffs or in a very big game where he muffs it because he's he's catching the punt the wrong way. And Kevin Huber, I've heard he, he has a hip injury that he's been nursing. I think it's affecting his distance a little bit. He's still getting his inside the 20s and not many touchbacks. So very happy with his performance. I'm just worried about his longevity this season because a hip injury for a kicker, punter, is, is not fun. And that can really limit your game. But so far, we're not really seeing the effects of that except a few shorter punts than we're used to out of him. So that's it. It was a real emotional game to watch and I'll tell you in the beginning of the game I was like the Raiders look like the better team right now I hate saying that out loud but they did for a little while and we just stayed the course stayed with the schemes made the proper adjustments played with heart and just totally wore them down and that's playoff football McLeavy Minute all right, we're here with Tom McLeavy. Tom, how are you today? Good, Frank. How you doing, pal? All right, my friend. So how do you think the team looked coming out of the bye week? Well, you know, as lifelong Bengal fans, we uh, were notorious for coming out flat, getting blown out after bye weeks. This year, we've been checking boxes. That's the way I'm looking at this season. Coming off a bye week, win, check. Another road win check didn't play our a game i'm feeling for burrow we have our 22 starters or look good i'll put them up mostly against any team other than the mainly the offensive line but we've been injury free but still burrow is running for his life and it's scary scary to see but it's nice to see that you know boyd came alive this game, and we were able to run the ball with Mixon. We're looking good. Going in, now we got Pittsburgh. This is another uh, division game. Let's sweep Pittsburgh, another check in, uh, for a box. No team is taking control of this year. This week, it looks like the Colts are hot. So the league is up for grabs. 
Bengals are right there in the heart of it. Let's keep doing what we're doing. Just our only crutch is our offensive line, and, and we got to do better than that. How you feeling about the Steelers game? I, I like it. I think the – I mean, Ben Roethlisberger coming into Paul Brown, he owns it, owns the stadium like Baker Mayfield. You got to give that, but Pittsburgh is not the same. They're beatable. So let's check a box. Let's, let's sweep them. I feel good. I think we can uh, really explode on this defense. And if our linebacker play gets better and, and is just solid, we have a good chance of winning. Tom, quick side note. How are you feeling about the University of Cincinnati? Thank you. Yes, they will be number four in the playoffs this week due to Oregon losing, getting blown out to Utah. Cincinnati will be number four going in, and hopefully they they run the next two games. They went out. Looks like they'll be playing Georgia in the first round of the playoffs. So, yes, go Bearcats. The unofficial Bengals podcast would like to welcome Justin Lacey. All right, we're here with Justin Lacey. Justin, how are you today? I'm feeling good. Victory Monday, and I'm excited. It's a great day to be a Bengals fan. Oh, yeah, and it's a great time to talk about them. So what are your thoughts after that big win yesterday against the Raiders? I will look at it as a two-part thing, but the thing that I'm going to focus on mainly is this, that this was a game that was brand versus identity, and identity won. The Raiders are always notoriously known as being the bigger brand. You know, the Raiders brand, that we're, we're the mean, tough guys of the Northwest. Well, formerly Northwest when they were the Oakland Raiders. Now they're in Vegas. And everybody knows the Raiders brand when they see them. But they typically don't play up to the level of standards based on what their identity of the team. And the identity of the team on the other side is what are the origins of the team makes up of? What is it that you actually do well on the field week in and week out? And the Bengals have the identity. They may not be the biggest brand, but they have the better identity, and it showed on Sunday. Good stuff. What was going on inside your head during that game? I mean, you know, the first half was hard fought. It seemed like we pulled away in the second half. You know, what what do you attribute all that to? I really attributed that to the coaching staff being smart and game planning ahead of time. And we rarely give the coaching staff all the credit, first and foremost, it usually goes to Joe Burrow, then followed by the defense, then potentially Joe Mixon. And I know that that's a little bit a lot of people are pretty much just thinking about as well, too. But Burrow didn't have his best game today. I'm um, sorry, yesterday's game. Uh, Mixon played really well. The defense also stepped up after a two-game absence, it seemed like, of being bad. But I really attribute this to the coaching staff because if you listen to Zach Taylor's press conference, he pretty much knew that this was going to be a dogfight kind of game where you have to grind out a tough win. And you have to be able to get these kind of wins because you're going to be entering into seasons where it's going to get bad weather. You might get some pretty wintry mix of things like that going into this late November and early December and potentially in the playoffs. And those kind of games that we played yesterday are going to be what you need to expect to come out with the win. In. And they did a really good job in game planning and making those halftime adjustments because it's not always going to be pretty. You want to see the finesse, but it's not always going to be finesse when it comes to passing the ball. 
just rely on the strength, and they stayed patient with the run game. And I was very happy with that. There could have been too many moments in that game where they could have bailed on a run, and they could have just went all pass, 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 but they didn't. Even when Joe Mixon took some negative yardage and where it seemed like that it wasn't there, eventually, I'm going to use some of their quotes, the dam was going to break, and those holes were going to eventually open up, and they certainly did. Yeah, Justin, you mentioned finesse. I know we were having a conversation before we started recording, and you were talking about the AFC West and how that's kind of filled with finesse teams, and there's one team in that division that you feel is somewhat similar to the AFC North. Do you want to elaborate on that point a little bit? Absolutely. And I look at the when I look at the uh, Raiders, based off of their brand and what their history usually tells, they can fit right in with the AFC North and play Smash Mouth football when it comes. They can't do it, obviously, this year because they don't seem like they have the, the rushing attack to do it or even the defense to be able to hang in there week in and week out. They're so heavily relying on Derek Carr this year. But that team usually has an identity of Smash Mouth football on the West Coast. And I think that that was going to be a testament to when you get ready to match up against Baltimore, Pittsburgh, and Cleveland – you have to be able to play smash mouth football and inclement weather and stuff. Whereas the Kansas City Chiefs, the Los Angeles Chargers, and the Denver Broncos, those don't feel like smash mouth football teams. Those feel like the finesse, you know, throw the ball over the yard type of offenses. Uh, get your playmakers out in space and then just flip it to them, throw it deep, look good style points. Whereas the AFC North is more predicated about, I'm going to beat you on the ground. I may beat you in the air. But most importantly, I'm going to wear you down physically and mentally. That's where the Bengals was able to come out on top with. And I think that if the Raiders were a team in the AFC North, they will fit right in. Now, I'm not saying that they will win a lot of games in the AFC North, but they could fit right in based off the branding and how that team is operating. Yeah, actually, you got me thinking on this whole point. If you go across the whole AFC, there's not a lot of teams that would fit well in the North. I mean, while we were talking, I was thinking – I mean, maybe Tennessee, maybe Buffalo, maybe the Patriots. I don't, I don't know. I, what, I mean, what are your thoughts? What, what other teams do you think are tough enough to mix it up in, in, our, in our black and blue division? Well, I'm going to start with the top down. So we're already seeing right now with Tennessee, we think that they're a smash-mouth team. No, it's actually because Derrick Henry makes them a smash-mouth team. They don't even have Derrick Henry right now. Do they look like a smash-mouth team now? Not so much. I mean, yeah, we can talk about they have Adrian Peterson, but – Adrian Peterson's old. Outside of the rushing attack with Derrick Henry, what is the Tennessee Titans' true identity? I honestly don't know. And we already saw that Ryan Tannehill can't really carry you on his back. He threw four interceptions yesterday. The Buffalo Bills. I like the Buffalo Bills. I've seen when, when they're at their best, they can be one of the they, – they sort of remind me of the modern-day version of the Jim Kelly-led offenses of the uh, late 80s, early 90s. Uh, with Marv Levy and Jim Kelly, Thurman Thomas, Bruce Smith, it feels like the Bills are approaching that method where it's just the the running K-gun offense, and it, and it looks good. But right now, the Bills are really not performing up to that level of standard either. They can't really run the ball right now. Their defense is sort of kind of a Jekyll and Hyde there a bit. Sure, they can be a candidate to fit in the AFC North for a little while, but I think eventually that magic is going to run out and they're not going to be able to compete so much. And I already talked about Kansas City, which I like Patrick Mahomes. Yes, he's still the best young quarterback in the game. I'll give him that. But the Chiefs' offense in its entirety, when they stall, they can stall pretty hard when they go against a real AFC North foe. 
and then you know I don't really know what to make of the Patriots and the Colts right now, and that's and, and also the Chargers too. I'm not really quite too sure what to make of those teams because I need to see more down the stretch before I can truly say that if those are teams that can fit well within the AFC North too. Yeah, it seems like all across the AFC, everyone's a little bit inconsistent, and that you know that kind of helps us out because after this big win yesterday, now we're six and four. We're very much in the mix for the playoffs. What would be your advice for the team mentality-wise going into this big game against Pittsburgh? Well, the big advice is that not to necessarily just look like you're bigger than Pittsburgh, but once again, you still look at them and think that we're still, we still got to get over the hump and beat you guys twice. We haven't swept the Pittsburgh Steelers since 2009. That was when Carson Palmer and Cedric Benson ran his way to the AFC North title that year when we swept the entire AFC North that year. But this has also been a stapling point where it's like, okay, we showed you we can beat you in your house and beat you in your house convincingly. Now you're going to be coming here in our house. You're going to bring a lot of fans with you. And we want to send them same fans packing again. You guys think that you guys are going to be right back in it and that you had a little bit of a hiccup against the Chargers by letting them back in the game again. But that's we need to t- uh, tell ourselves that this is not going to happen this time. And also to take a little bit more bigger picture in this grand, grand scheme of things, this entire AFC is wide open. Everybody's talking about the Titans, the Bills, the Chargers, the, the Chiefs, the Patriots. Everybody's talking about those teams, the Ravens. I'm not going to forget about them. But if I'm the Bengals and I'm talking to this team, I will look at them and tell themselves, like, why can't we be the team that everybody's talking about to be the most feared? Why is it that everybody's got to laugh at us and say, like, or be surprised that we win a game? There were so many people in the media world that were just surprised and shocked to see us win Sunday, whereas this should have been expected all along. We're not a bad team. We weren't a bad team. We just had a two-game losing streak just like other teams have two-game losing streaks. We had a couple of letdown losses just like other teams have had a couple of letdown losses. So there's not a team going on your schedule that currently sits right now that you need to fear at any given point. You've already proved it to yourself that you can run away and beat the Raiders soundly and convincingly, and that was a team that was in the playoff line too. Do it against Pittsburgh next because they're thinking that they're just one win away to get right back into the mix of things, and you need to put them out of their misery. And that's what I'll tell the team in the locker room. There would be nothing I would want to see more than us bury Pittsburgh and, and push them deeper out of the race. And you are right. We are a very talented team from you know top to bottom. Justin, how do people find you on social media? You can find me on Instagram, Juddy13, J-U-T-T-Y-1-3. I'm happily happy to engage with all of the fans, and let's go ahead and get it. It's Day Nation. It's fun season, baby. Let's go. Cincinnati Bengals versus Pittsburgh Steelers. First play, three wide receivers and a tight end acting as an H-back. Mixing in the backfield. What we do, we go to the opposite side of Watt, so we send the tight end in motion, the H-back in motion, and we just give a handoff to Mixon going that way. Let's see if we can get him started early. Even if it's a nice three, four-yard gain, let them know you're going to have to stop this guy all day. Maybe he lowers his shoulder on a safety or a DB or even one of the linebackers and sends a message early, and those guys are like, man, I don't want to have to tackle this guy all game. So that's it, just a simple, well-blocked run on first down. We come out being very aggressive. Second play, same formation, only this time we're going to go to Watt's side with a screen. We're going to have Mixon chip, 
and just move past Watt. Watt's going to come aggressively upfield at Burrow. Burrow's going to float it over. And again, you got, you're going to have Mixon in space, and he's going to punish the first guy that's coming to tackle him. And that could be a very big gain for us. Third play, let's go back to the play that I was talking up from this game. We have trips to one side. The two inside guys go upfield and out, and Tyler Boyd slips underneath with a slant. Burrow hits him, boom, nice bullet, perfect pass, catchable ball, first down. Look out, Steelers, it's going to be a long day. All right, so let's quickly go through some strategy and concerns. So offensive strategy, get the ball out quick. I don't want to see Joe Burrow taking those same hits that he did against the Raiders because the Steelers guys are a little tougher, a little more deadly. I know Crosby's a great player, but, I mean, you got your Watt, Highsmith, Hayward, You know, they have good schemes. They'll bring some DBs. So they're going to be looking to be nailing Burrow all game long. And that's the last thing I want to see is Joe Burrow take his beating against the Steelers or possibly get hurt. That would be the worst scenario in the world. So please, let's get the ball out quick. And let's challenge the secondary. You know, they have that great defensive line. The secondary, there's some name players, but they're not playing that great this year. They gave up a lot of points to the Chargers. I watched that whole game. Got my scouting report on them. Let's go four wides with P. Ryan or Mixon blocking in the backfield. Let's do some five wides, get the ball out in a second and a half, and just start beating them like that. You know, the, the Raiders were known for not giving up the big pass, so what, what did we do? We, we hit them with a lot of short, quick passes. I think we should do the same thing to the Steelers early, and then you set up those DBs for some big plays late. I think Chase is going to be in for a big gain this game and hopefully going over top for a 50-yard touchdown or something similar. And you want to slow down that pass rush, so let's do some tight end screens, some running back screens. Again, the multiple wide receiver sets with getting the ball out quick. Let's keep them off balance and not just have Joe take a big five, seven-step drop back and be a target back there. And then getting mixing the ball in space, just like they did last game, you know, you put him against the DBs and the linebackers, like I said before, let him cause his damage out there. Now, Mixon is off of a very hot game. He's riding high right now, so let's ride that hot hand and get him the ball a lot this game. Let's try to get him 20 to 30 touches. Concerns, as I said, Watt is going to be back in the lineup, I assume. High Smith, Minka Fitzpatrick, I don't know. He's up and down. I think he's a little overrated. He had a horrible game against us last time. But he's still somebody you have to worry about. I think the big one for this game, though, is going to be Hayward. They're going to try to get him on Hopkins one-on-one as much as they can. I don't know how much they're going to be able to do because we're going to have a guard and Hopkins taking him on on most plays. But that Hayward matchup is going to be deadly, and it's going to be tough to run dead up the middle against them with him in there. He's like a DJ reader. Okay, defensive strategy. Teams have to realize, and I've watched the last few Steelers games, I've said it so many times. Ben can't throw the ball downfield anymore. He can't. Any pass you see from the Steelers that goes more than 15 yards is a lollipop. He's not throwing these high-velocity Joe Burrow, Justin Herbert, Josh Allen type of throws. He doesn't have the arm strength anymore. His elbow is toast. He's getting old. He's getting washed up. I, I dare him. Prove me wrong. Prove me wrong. Watch the game. When you see, Watch their last game. Watch this game. You will see... He's not doing anything down the field. And teams have to prepare for that. Like, there was the last last game, it was like a third and long, like real long for them, and he does like a two-yard check down. It was such a questionable call, and it's like, wow, can this guy even get the ball 10 yards on a frozen rope? It just doesn't look like it anymore. 
you know, we don't like Ben as Bengals fans. I know he's a Hall of Famer. I know he's done his damage in the past. It's not the same guy anymore, and we need to take advantage of that. This is our time. Changing of the guard. We're going to watch the Bengals and the Browns at the top of the division, and we're going to watch the Ravens and the Steelers go to the bottom over the next few years. You'll see it's going to flip-flop like that. That's my feeling. Or, you know what, who cares about the Ravens and the Browns? You're going to watch the Bengals shoot to the top. You're going to watch the Steelers shoot to the bottom. So back to his checkdowns, Fryermuth. He's going to be looking for Fryermuth all game, and you know the Steelers are going to have a couple thousand Steeler fans in our stadium, and you're going to hear the Muth chants. You're going to hear that a bunch this game because Ben doesn't have anywhere else to go with the ball. So we need to make sure that we can contain him. If he's catching the ball, let's limit him to no yards after the catch. And Najee Harris, another one overrated. I'm sorry, he is. Maybe it's the offensive line there. They're, they're just not good. and he's, he's not doing anything in the run game. You know, every week you could take the under on his rushing yards. Last game it was like 81. I don't even know if he had 50 yards rushing. But what they like to do is get him the ball out of the backfield. So you have to know going into this game that everything's coming in front of you. How do you combat that? I don't know. There's some way better defensive minds than me that can tell you very big specifics on how to beat that. But what you do want to do, I think you go single high safety and you add another safety up in the box to help in coverage and to protect against runs. I I don't know if you want to have two deep safeties for much of this game against a guy who can't throw deep. And they have a shaky offensive line, and Ben doesn't have that elusiveness or that toughness that he used to. So let's, again, do some stunts, get some creative blitzes. Let's let Mike Hilton get home against his old teammate. You know he's going to be fired up for this game. So let's let's get some hits on Big Ben, and that'll really shake him up. And, you know, he's going to be useless this game if, if things go the way I think. So Coach Anarumo, please... Just sell out for the check down passes because this guy is not going to beat you deep. Concerns, what I said earlier, Najee Harris out of the backfield catching the ball. Fryermuth catching the ball. You know, Deontay Johnson and Claypool, you can't sleep on them. They're good receivers. He likes to hit Johnson. So, you know, you're probably going to see some seven-yard slants out of Johnson trying to isolate him, stuff like that. Those are your big concerns offensively are those four guys, but I really lean more towards Fryermuth and Najee Harris out of the backfield. Prediction for the game. I think the Bengals win decisively again, and I'm always going to say the Bengals are going to win. You guys know that. But I'm going to go with this. I'm going to go three touchdowns for the Bengals, two field goals. And I'm going to say the Steelers backdoor a couple touchdowns and one field goal. 27-17 Bengals sweep the Steelers, push them to the bottom, raise us to the top, AFC North, here we go. Watch out, Baltimore. You're next. And watch out, Cleveland, at the end of the year. This team is going to stay hot. We have the talent. We now have the coaching. We have a lot going for us. We have Joe Burrow. We have a hungry defense. We play with unity. We're a team. We're complimenting each other. We're accountable. Just everything you want in a team. There's no infighting. There's no one on the team that you don't like. It's such a likable team to root for. And they're just playing so well right now. And let's just go. Let's just wreck the Steelers at home. Let's let's have those fans sitting on those terrible towels. And let's have those fans emptying out at the beginning of the fourth quarter because they lost. So, you know, take, take the five, six-hour drive path back to Pittsburgh. Get out of our stadium. The unofficial Bengals podcast would like to welcome Evan McPhillips. 
All right, I'm really excited about this next guest. He has a page on Twitter called at Stats, and it's one of those pages that I can't get enough of. There's always interesting stats. It's always a good read. It's information that I wouldn't have come across on my own, and it's presented in a real entertaining way. I'd like to welcome Evan McPhillips from at Stats. Evan, how are you today? I'm doing well. Appreciate you having me on. Thanks. All right, my man. So before we get into the actual stats and, and the meat of the segment, I wanted to ask what your thoughts were on the big game against the Raiders and the upcoming game against the Steelers. I think it was just encouraging to see the Bengals come out and get a win out of the bye. Obviously, they can start having some momentum, start building on that, hopefully, in a, what's looking to be a tougher part of the uh, second part of the schedule here with the Chiefs finding their stride, the Niners finding their stride. L.A. is still a tough team to beat, so they're definitely going to have to have to continue riding this wave. The defense played great coming out of there. Trey Hendrickson looked every bit of what they paid for. Sam Hubbard had, I think, three defensive stops, so he looked great, too. If they can get that kind of performance from their defense continuously throughout the season then the offense has a good chance to hit their stride at least in half of these games even if they're inconsistent if anything so it's definitely looking promising if they can just straighten out some of their offensive woes yeah I agree with you I think I think the arrow is pointing up I know we were all worried about those two consecutive losses and especially us being a little slow coming out of the bye week but in this case we kind of turned things around anything specific about the Steelers game that either concerns you or gives you encouragement? Well, obviously, T.J. Watt and Cameron Hayward are playing out of their minds when they are healthy, so we'll have to see what goes on with Watt, but I would expect he's probably going to be back. Uh, Minka may be back as well, I think, so uh, it's going to be a tough game, and especially I was surprised to see them play the Chargers so close yesterday and have that kind of explosive fourth quarter, so to know that they do have that in them is uh, it's going to be tricky, but if the Bengals can come out and play defense like they did against the Raiders, uh, I don't think there's a reason that they can't come out and at least score enough to beat the Steelers again yeah you know there's two things about the Steelers that I've been noticing when I watch their games I think that Najee Harris is very good catching the ball out of the backfield I don't think he's quite found his stride as a runner yet I'm not sure if that's on him or on the offensive line that's one that I'd like to get your thoughts on and two I don't think Ben can get the ball down the field anymore I know he throws the occasional deep pass but it looks like a lollipop and Everything is checkdowns. What are your thoughts on those two players? Uh, I definitely think that uh, Najee, he's definitely been the, – the gaps are not quite as big for uh, for him. The offensive line isn't what it has been. It's not the Steelers' offensive line in the last few years. Um, there's obviously been a lot of overturn on that line. A lot of There's been an offensive line coaching change with Munchak leaving. So it's not the same line that people are used to. And it's a little bit of him trying to find his rhythm. It's a little bit of uh, – white and black a little bit of the gray not necessarily uh one or the other um as for ben he's definitely not been taking his shots downfield um looking at it right now he's 35th out of 36 sorry 37 quarterbacks in uh average depth of target this season with 7.2 so he's definitely just way down there and not taking those shots downfield you see him checking down on third and 12s right at the line of scrimmage so there's there's definitely a uh probably a spot for the Bengals to exploit is kind of trying to maybe play back, encourage him to take those check downs on some of those longer downs and then rally and make the tackle. All right. You know, let's get on to some stats because I know that's, that's one of your specialties. Can you give us a few maybe interesting or unique stats through 10 games of the Bengals that maybe a lot of people wouldn't know? 
Oh yeah, there's uh, there's a lot of fun stats uh, on the Bengals. I've got five pulled here that we can uh, take a closer look at. The first would be uh, generally just going to touch quickly on expected points for those who might not know. Um, expected co- points accounts for factors such as down and distance to go, field position, time remaining, basically all these different factors of the game that would kind of influence your decision making or the gravity of the output of the play. So the difference in these expected points from a pl- one play to the next is called expected points added. And that's either positive or negative based on whether you had a positive result that is likely to result in scoring. Uh, because of all, all the things that it accounts for and the point scale, it's really accurate measure of how plays can affect uh, the changes on the scoreboard and the outcome of the game. And they're very consistent in predicting team success year to year. Looking generally at expected points added for the Bengals and what it tells us for this season, so far the Bengals' defense has been the surprise of the season. They rank 7th in EPA allowed per play, 8th in EPA per drop back, and 11th versus the run, which is really surprising because a lot of people expected the the, the offense would come out and be elite and the defense would have a little bit of catching up or if the defense can just play you know, as the 15th or 20th best unit, then the Bengals will be able to find success because their offense will be so dominant. It's actually kind of been the other way where the offense, for various reasons, has averaged uh, about 17th in EPA per play, which is 13th in drop back and 20th in rushing EPA. And the reason we might see that they're kind of on the lower end on offensive uh, EPA per play is because gravity of a play like a game-ending interception like against the Bears or against the Jets may bring that down lower than we would expect. If you remove those, perhaps they move from 17th up to 15th or 14th. But it's just say it goes to say that the defense has been extremely impressive, and that's something that we didn't expect and has definitely been a strength of this Bengals team going through at least 10 weeks so far. If you, if I were to guess, I would have guessed that the offense would have been top 10 or right around the top 10. And as you just said, it was the defense. That's, that's excellent and surprising stuff. So rolling into the second one. Uh, so PFF pass rushing productivity is basically a rating that measures your pressure on a per snap basis with a weighting towards sacks because that's the ultimate goal, right? So the goal of this stat is to say pressures are important, but sacks are the, the, the gold medal for say. Looking at Trey Hendrickson, who was the free agent addition who's been really standing out, he currently has a PRP of 10.1, which ranks fifth among all defensive linemen in the NFL this season. If he finishes the season with a mark of 9.7 or above, it'll be the highest PRP we've seen from any qualifying Bengals defensive lineman since 2006 when PFF started charting. Just to put in perspective how good of a season that Trey Hendrickson is currently having. You know, I knew he was having a special season. I didn't realize the numbers were that good on him. And it makes sense with Carl Lawson. And I was saying this, you know, without knowing, without being privy to the stats, I was always like, oh, they're saying Lawson is one of the top in pressures, but I'm like, he never really gets home. And the stat that you just gave, you know, showed the validity of that. And it shows that Hendrickson ended up being a much better fit than Carl Lawson, at least for our system. So what are you thinking with stat number three? All right, so looking at stat number three, A lot of talk about the offensive line with Joe Burrow and that kind of whole narrative, right? Well, uh, 
Through our 10 weeks, the PFF passed blocking efficiency rating, for those who don't know, uh, basically just as a measure of your pressure allowed on a per-snap basis with a weighting again towards sacks allowed, kind of like PRP was. So this is more of an offensive stat for linemen that weights the sacks appropriately. So far, just looking at the Bengals O-line, which removes the pressures that the running backs and the tight ends have allowed, the O-line has a pass blocking efficiency of 86.4 this season. When the Bengals went to the playoffs behind a 12-4 and record in 2015, their pass blocking efficiency was 86.1. So just a .3 difference in that. So this goes to say, not necessarily to say this Bengals offensive line is really, really good. It's saying this Bengals offensive line is something you can win with, is a quality line in the NFL. I want to say it ranked 12th. I'm not sure. I'll have to double-check that. But, again, it just goes to say that the Bengals line has its issues. But when we start to go, well, left tackle and right tackle are solid and you feel good about a guard spot, but center and guard aren't good. Well, I mean, there's a lot of NFL teams that feel good about only two or three guys and are unsure about offensive line at, you know, a spot or two. It's just kind of the state of the NFL at this point. Wow, that's a shocking stat. I would not have believed that they were that efficient. I mean, 84%, that, that's pretty big. What about stat number four? Okay, so we've had some fun. We're, we're going over to the quarterback, Joe Burrow, now. A little, a little superstar pop to finish here. All right. So looking at Joe Burrow, he's got a 90, 91.9 PFF grade on the deep ball this season. It's been a huge factor in the Bengals' success. He has a 31.1% big-time throw percentage and a 6.7 turnover-worthy play percentage on these attempts to go along with six touchdowns. Comparing that to last season where the deep ball was just not there and non-existent for the Bengals, you're talking about Burrow with a 61.5 PFF grade on deep throws. And looking at the percentages, you're talking about a 16.7 big-time throw percentage, which is a half of what he's throwing this year and a 5.6 turnover worthy play percentage so a little slight increase in the turnover worthy plays to almost double the big time throws so the the increase has definitely been worth uh the slight increase in uh turnover worthy plays and it's definitely led to a more explosive offense Bengals are averaging about 26 points per game compared to 19 points per game last season with, you know, obvious caveats that Burrow was out, but even to the point where Burrow was injured, they were still averaging about 21 points per game. Obviously, Chase has played a huge factor in that regard. The chemistry that he and Burrow has has been exceptional, and they picked up right where they left off at LSU. They definitely kind of felt the lack of explosive plays looking at a game as recent as uh, Oakland where they had zero completions of over 20 yards and how the offense seemed to stall and struggle until they got the run game going. It just goes to show the deep, the deep ball has been a factor for them. And also it goes to show that I would expect them to bounce back in that regard, probably against the Steelers. I'm hoping that is the truth. And yeah, they were getting on Joe Burrow a lot last year for not having an accurate or not having a lot of success with the deep ball and I just wasn't buying into it. I mean, yeah, you saw we weren't completing a lot of deep passes, but I didn't think that it was going to be an ongoing problem with him. And, you know, maybe it is the the Jamar Chase factor, or maybe it's just another year in the league. But, you know, what I'm seeing on the field totally backs the stats that you're, that you're telling us here, and it's leading to a much more successful offense. Right. We definitely expect to see variance, you know, on things like deep balls because of how much variance there is in the outcome of them and how many things have to go right or wrong, you know, depending on what side of the ball you're on. So we do expect to see variance. But I mean, like you said, 
last season felt like the variance, the, the outlier where there were a whole bunch of factors between the offensive line and the wide receivers not getting separation where everything was working against them. And it was not characteristic of Joe Burrow that we saw in college is one of the best college quarterbacks we've ever seen. So it definitely feels like he's regressed to his mean and probably a little bit. We can say, obviously, he probably won't be one of the two or three best quarterbacks in the league on the deep ball every year. But I think it's fine to say that we could expect him to be top 15 pretty consistently because of his accuracy at that level. And, you know, if we play defense and our run game is good and Joe continues to make good decisions and be accurate, we can live with him being near the middle of the pack in the deep ball. We can still be a very successful team, in my opinion. All right, so Evan, what is stat number five? Stat number five, wrap it up again. We're coming back to Joe Burrow, and there's an important reason why, and it's because he has a 93.1 PFF passing grade against the Blitz this season, which is absolutely absurd. It easily dwarfs his 65.7 grade versus the Blitz from his rookie year, and it looks like the work that Burrow was supposedly putting in in the offseason while he was injured and last uh, the end of last season as well, it, it looks to be paying dividends for him because he's out there operating and constantly knows what to do, what the right check to make is. He's definitely in year two looking like one of those quarterbacks who's taking the mental leap, who's going to be like a Peyton Manning, a Tom Brady, and even how Dak Prescott has looked, uh, especially against the Blitz this year like he is just constantly making all these pre-snap adjustments and constantly knowing where to go with the ball and whenever you blitz them it ends poorly for you and you should just avoid it which i'm hoping that teams like the steelers don't read that scouting report and just blitz away at him because he's been so good so he's been really exceptional and he's a big part of the reason that the the Bengals success has been so good and i would expect to see that continue because he's only going to get smarter with more experience and more time yeah, and I'll tell you, that puts the brakes on an, on an aggressive defense, too, when they're afraid to send extra guys because your quarterback knows what to do with it. And I would attribute it to two things. You know, One, based on what you're saying, his ability to read defenses and just become a smarter NFL player. And I think the one intangible is the fact that he's so fearless. You know, you look at his warrior mentality. He's not afraid to get hit. And I, th I think some of that might actually play into his success in that stat as well. What, what are your thoughts on that? I, I think you're absolutely right. We've seen him take some serious licks back there that probably make everybody, Zach Taylor and all of Joe Burrow's family, a little bit uh, uncomfortable. But, I mean, you know, what, do you, what do you have to show for it? Well, I mean, he has eight big-time throws and only one turnover-worthy play when he's blitzed this season. So, I mean, hey, go ahead and blitz this guy. But you got a pretty darn good chance looking at the numbers that he's going to absolutely torch you. So, I mean, it's... It just really goes to show how he's developed mentally and is very encouraging seeing him take this leap in year two. And it definitely leads you to believe that he is going to be able to maximize every bit of talent that he has. Evan, this was a great segment, just like your tweets. I cannot wait to have you back on the show again, for real. How do people find you on social media? Uh, you can follow me at Bengals Stats. Uh, I usually try and tweet out some uh, some stats I find that are interesting and also retweet a bunch of stats that I find and try to just be kind of a general catch-all spot for Bengals Stats whenever you're kind of bored or you're just like, hey, I need some reasons to say why the Bengals are so good. You, you always have that resource. Uh, or you can follow me on my personal account, at emicphil, uh, and just give me a shout there. I'm always fun, always enjoying talking football and bad music takes and a little bit of everything else on there so it's a good time so i appreciate the follow 
AFC North standings. The Bengals are currently 6-4 and four and in second place in the AFC North. They trail the first place Ravens at 7-3. and three. And then you have the Steelers at 5-4-1 in third place and the Browns in last place at 6-5. and five. The Cincinnati Bengals are currently the fifth seed in the AFC. That'll do it for this episode. Next episode is going to be a review of the Steelers game and a preview of the upcoming Los Angeles Chargers game. And we're also going to welcome in some special guests as well. I'd like to thank at Bengals Highlights on Instagram, the best page out there. Really cool highlights, really cool music, definitely something you should check out. Thank you for listening to the unofficial Bengals podcast. This is your host, Frank LaPlaca, and I'm a Bengals fan for life. The unofficial Bengals podcast.